0: Second Samuel sixteen. We're going to read verse five through eight this evening as part of our introduction, and we'll follow a format much like last week. Stand if you can for the reading of God's word, if you're able to do that. Second Samuel sixteen and verse number five. The Bible says, "And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei the son of Gera." He came forth and cursed still as he came, and he cast stones at David, and all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial, the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose steed thou hast reigned." The Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son, and behold, thou art taken in thy mischief. Behold, thou art a bloody man. Wow, Shimei is bold, is he not? He's coming right at David. David's got his soldiers right there around him. Uh, Shimei doesn't care. He's cursing, he's yelling, he's condemning uh, David. And we'll see David's response here in just a moment. But going back to our our sermon here titled The Poison of Disillusionment. I think it's fair to say that Shimei was disillusioned over what had happened to Saul. He didn't like that Saul had been dethroned, and he blamed David for that when that was not David's fault at all. That had been Saul's fault. Here, Shimei is disillusioned, and his disillusionment is causing him to be poisonous and act in a way that's highly inappropriate. And in this passage, could have very easily gotten him killed. Let's pray tonight, and we'll get into the passage. God, thank you tonight for the word of God. May you use it to minister to our hearts again and again and again. Lord, it really is like fresh water being poured on a thirsty soul. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would renew us and refresh us. May you quench that thirst uh, that, that our flesh creates. We know that your water is living. We know that it's pure. But, Lord, sin oftentimes can stymie us, and we need your word. The Lord just refresh us so do that for us tonight as we read the scriptures this evening and seek to understand them spirit of god would you lead us and guide us in all truth would you convict us would you encourage us and comfort us lord guide us tonight in jesus name amen you may be seated i gave you last week's outline in really tiny print some of you might need a microscope to um, or a magnifying glass to be able to see that uh, but i put it there for you so you would see what we covered last week and we looked at uh, David's emotional confusion in chapter 14 uh, at the beginning of this story, this uh, drama as it lays out in Scripture. Uh, Absalom, is his son, is angry and bitter at David. Uh, he has killed uh, Amnon, his brother, for the rape of Tamar, his sister. And there's incest, there's murder, there's a lot of pain. Uh, Absalom, upon the murder of Amnon, he flees to uh, the, uh, the The Land of Gesher, Geshur was where his mother was from, his grandparents were king and queen and Gesher, so he runs there uh, as a place of rest, a fugitive running from David in the law, and there he stays. Uh, jo- Joab can tell that david 's heart is torn uh, and he wants Absalom back and so Joab uh, brings in a woman who is wise and puts words in her mouth and has her tell David a story and lo and behold uh, David realizes that this is a ploy of Joab to get her back and so uh, David expresses his pain. He gives Joab permission to bring Absalom home but then when Absalom arrives back in Jerusalem David refuses to see Absalom. Will not see him, will not talk to him, wants nothing to do with him because it's too painful for him to confront what Absalom represents and who he is and then We saw letter C, Absalom's passion. Absalom demands a meeting after two years with David, uh, and uh, Joab ignores him, and so Absalom sets Joab's fields on fire. Uh, That's a good way to get someone's attention, attack their money income. Burns his barley fields. And Joab says, okay, Absalom, why did you burn my barley fields? He says, I want a meeting with my dad. Why did I even come back from Gesher? I want it now. And so he gets his meeting, and they do a token hug. They uh, play as though everything's fine, but deep down there's still problems. And that moves us into chapter 15. We saw Absalom's conspiracy. He decides that he's going to get David back. And so David, or rather Absalom, was a very cunning man and a very contrived man, very carefully planned. He stands outside of the gate of the city and he intercepts anybody on their way in. And what does he do? He gives them counsel that they're seeking for from David and he begins to win the hearts of the people. He takes quite a bit of time and at the age of 40 he then decides he's going to betray his father. He He goes to Hebron. He tells his dad, I'm going there to pay a vow to the Lord. It was a lie. He got to Hebron and he decided it was time to commit mutiny and overthrow the kingdom. And um, word gets back to David. David, Absalom has stolen the hearts of the men of Israel. Uh, You need to get lost because they're coming for you to dispose of you and make Absalom king. And then we moved in last week and we saw David's counter we saw his departure from Jerusalem chapter 15 verses 13 through 29 we saw his despair over Absalom we looked at his devotion to God and then we finished by talking about his directions to Hushai here now quickly about Hushai Um, this was the tactical move that David made that's going to end up being the undoing of Absalom Hushai comes to David. He's one of his key uh, tactical advisors, military advisors. And he comes to David after David's fled the city. And he says to David, hey, I'm here. I'm loyal to you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm right by your side. And David says, listen, you're not going to do me any good here. I want you to head back into Jerusalem. I want you to go to the palace. And I want you to tell Absalom that you're a populist and that you're here to serve the populist choice for king. So you lead and you, uh, you, you tell him that you want to advise him. Him. And lo and behold, we'll see Absalom accepts him as a counselor. And then there is a network in which to get information from Hushai back to David so that David has an inside man uh, with Absalom and his counsel. So now we move in to chapter 16 and we go to uh, point number four. So let's get this on the screen. We looked at number one, number two, number three last week. Number four, notice David cursed. David cursed. Now. 16 verses 1 through 4 talk about um, uh, Zeba. Zeba was Mephibosheth's servant, and 1 through 4 is just Zeba being dishonest and taking taking Mephibosheth's uh, wealth from him. What a sad, sad story that is. Mephibosheth is lame; he cannot walk, and Zeba comes in and and lies about Mephibosheth and is able to. Uh, try to take that away from him. But let's move into verse 5. And let me give you letter A here. Notice Shimei's lawless rage. Shimei's lawless rage. Look back with me at verse number 5. So you get the image. David here is fleeing from the city. He's in route to wherever he's going to go, and and set up a tactical camp, and uh, he's already dealing with fallout with Absalom. Now he's got to look uh, over further over his shoulder and look at fallout fallout from Saul. Verse five. And when King David came to Bahurim, behold, thence came out a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came forth and cursed still as he came, and he cast stones at David, and at all the servants of King David, and all the people, and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And thus said Shimei, when he cursed, Come out, come out, thou bloody man, and thou man of Belial, the Lord hath returned upon thee all the blood of the house of Saul, in whose steed thou hast reigned. And the Lord hath delivered the kingdom into the hand of Absalom thy son. And behold, thou art taken in thy mischief. Behold, Thou art a bloody man. Here we see Shimei, he is angry. In fact, look down with me at verse number 13. And David and his men went by the way. Shimei went along on the hillside over against him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and cast dust. Are you picturing this? David's heading out of town with a heavy heart. He's got to deal with things with his son Absalom. And here comes Shimei, a relative of Saul, and he's angry at David because Saul is no longer king, and Saul has been deplatformed, if you will. Shimei starts hurling insults and then he starts hurling rocks. And then he starts picking up hands of dirt and just throwing them at David and his men. He is in a lawless Rage. Why a lawless rage? Because David was the king, and here he is throwing rocks and hurling insults at the king. He's angry, and uh, he is he is uh, uh, taking that anger out, that vitriol in his heart about Saul no longer being king. He's taking it out on David. Letter B, we see Abishai's loyal reaction. Look at verse number 9. Verse number 9 says, Then said Abishai, son of Zariah, Under the king, why should this dead dog, speaking of Shimei, why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. I like this guy, alright? I like Abishai. Every David needs an Abishai. By the way, Abishai was the guy who was there when they came into the camp and Saul had the the cruise of water and the spear in the ground. And and, uh, he says to David, he says, Look, I only need one shot at this and I can kill Saul and he won't make a peek, right? He's right there. He's been by David's side. You may remember a few chapters ago when uh, the Assyrians came in uh, to help out in war against the Amalekites and you had Joab and Abishai. They split the army into two teams and one fought this direction the other fought this direction. Joab was the general of one set. Abishai, his brother, was the general of the other. Abishai was a man's man. He was a warrior in every sense of the term. He was ready to go to war with David. Listen, had David done everything perfect? No, he had not. Had David made some mistakes along the way? Oh, those are well documented in Scripture, but Abishai said, I have been called to follow this man as he follows the Lord. I still believe in David and while he isn't perfect, I am here and if that guy's going to curse you, let me at him. I'll chop off his head. Abishai's loyal reaction, but we see David's, letter C, David's lowly response. Look at verse number 10, and I'm going to draw a very important application here, but look at verse 10. And by the way, this is a mature response to a man who's cursing you. Now, before we read it, David had the power to have Shimei's head cut off. And there would have been no questions asked. But David showed great restraint when someone was cursing him. Look at verse 10. And the king said, What have I to do with you, ye son of Zariah, speaking of Abishai? So let him curse, because the Lord hath said unto him, Curse David. Who shall then say, Wherefore hast thou done so? And David said to Abishai and all his servants, Behold my son, which came forth of my bowels, seeketh my life. How much more now may this Benjaminite do it? Let him alone, and let him curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. It may be that the Lord will look on mine affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. David says, while this man is ripping him to shreds, he says, we're not going to react. We're not going to chop his head off. We're going to respond. We're going to accept that God and his providence allowed him to curse me. And we're going to let him curse. We're going to let him throw stones. We're going to let him hurl insults. And we're going to let God see my affliction, see our affliction, And we're going to let him turn it into good. And we'll let God punish Shimei. Now, if you continue reading through 2 Samuel, David on his deathbed asks that uh, there be a remembrance of what Shimei did and that God punish him. So David did not forget this, but David immediately took the wrong that was done to Shimei, done to him by Shimei, and he turned it over to God and said, Let God be God. I'm not going to be God. Let God be God. We'll let God punish Shimei. Listen, did you know sometimes... God brings an antagonist in your life so he can make you into a better person. And here we all get all frustrated and upset and flustered because we don't like the way a certain someone is treating us or the way a certain set of circumstances are going. Uh, You may even have someone who's just decided to declare war and and, and assault your character and assault your good name and uh, hurl insults and curses at you. Listen, you let God be God. Abishai wanted to react. He wanted to chop off his head. David said, no, we're not going to react. We're going to respond humbly. We're going to respond humbly. I've said it before. I'll say it again. When people criticize you, oftentimes the very best thing you can do is say nothing. You say, well, pastor, I need to defend my honor. You let your character speak for itself. And you let God defend your honor. Now, if your well-being, your job is on the line, and you need to defend your honor to keep your job, that's one thing. If your relationship with your children is on the line, and you need to defend the right to have uh, credibility with your children, then by all means, you defend that honor. But if it's just some peer who's attacking you, and your own uh, reputation might take a hit, then let God be true and let Him handle it and you just stay faithful and lowly. Through the years of being the pastor here, I have faced a handful of times where someone has decided to just tee off on me on social media. Sometimes they've used my name. Oftentimes they are vague and they don't use my name, but anybody close enough to the situation knows they are talking about uh, they're talking about me. And it just comes to the territory of being a pastor. I'm okay with that. Can I just say up front, sometimes when people criticize me, they're right. They're right because I'm not perfect and I make mistakes. Sometimes when people take to social media, what they're saying is accurate. It may be exaggerated, it may be embellished, but the heart of it isn't always wrong. Can I tell you this? Whatever anybody negative wants to say about me, I know me better than you know me, and what I know about me is worse than what you say about me. It's just the reality. I'm a sinner. But there are times where attacks have been leveled against my character on social media and they're not true at all. And you say, well, what do you do? You know what I try my best to do? I try to do nothing. Because I'm going to let God take care of it. I'm going to let God take care of it. You don't need to defend yourself at every turn. You need to say, God's allowing this in my life for a reason. I'm going to trust He knows what He's doing. David said, God will turn my affliction around, and use it to help me. We see David cursed. Number five, we see Absalom's counselors, Absalom's Absalom's counselors. By the way, before we get into that, look down at verse 14 with me. The Bible says in chapter 16, verse 14, it says, And the king and all the people that were with him came weary and refreshed themselves there, And so they're in this journey. They're very sad. Uh, They're heavy hearted. They've got war and uncertainty looming over their head. Now they've got Shimei throwing rocks at them. But they found a place of refuge. They found a place of rest. And they refreshed themselves there. We looked at Psalm 3 last week and saw how David, he rested in the Lord. And he laid himself down and rest. And that's the best thing you can do is give those things over to God and lay down and rest. Number 5. Absalom's counselors, and this will cover from chapter 16, verse 15, through chapter 17, verse 29. Notice letter A, first, the scorner. The scorner. So Ahithophel had been a, a counselor of David. Now he is flipped and he's an, a, a counselor of uh, of uh, Absalom. Ahithophel is also embittered toward David, I'm sure for his own reasons, and Ahithophel is going to now give wicked, wicked, wicked counsel uh, to Absalom in an attempt to scorn David and help Absalom scorn David. Absalom is disillusioned. He's, uh, disillusioned at dad's own moral failures with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. He's disillusioned over Amnon's rape of his sister Tamar. He's disillusioned over dad's inability to handle Amnon's rape of his, uh, rape of his sister Tamar. And so here you have it, a disillusioned man being counseled by a disillusioned man. And boy, this is going to lead to ugliness. David prayed, uh, we, saw, we saw last week David prayed that Ahithophel's counsel would be turned into foolishness. And boy, we'll see here in a minute, it sure is going to be turned into foolishness. Notice, um, below uh, this corner, I have two more uh, sub-sub points here. You can jot these down. I don't know they'll be on the screen or not, but here they are. Ahithophel's wicked counsel. Ahithophel's, there it is. Ahithophel's wicked counsel. Look at chapter 16, and look at verse number 20. The Bible says, Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel, Among you, what shall we? What we shall do? And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house. And all Israel shall hear that thou art abhorred of of thy father. Then shall the hands of all that are with thee be strong. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house, and Absalom went in unto his father's concubines. In the sight of all Israel. This is horrible. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was it was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. Ahithophel's wicked counsel. I, I'm gonna get some water here, I'm having a hard time. But while I'm while I'm getting this, will you notice what happened? I got a bottle here. Thank you, Tom. Well, you notice what happened. You remember back uh, a few chapters with Amnon? The Bible says, But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab. And Jonadab counseled Amnon to act on his sexual lust to rape Tamar. And Absalom became so embittered over this injustice done to his sister, that he got angry and then he became uh, bitter and then he became nasty and then he became uh, cold-hearted and conniving and he took Amnon's life over this sin. Now we move forward to this point and what has happened is that now Absalom has become Amnon. Now, he's being counseled. Oh, not by Jonadab. He's being counseled by Ahithophel. And what counsels he's being given? He's being given the counsel to go in and rape his father's concubines. You see how that, when we become angry at someone over the way we're treated, if we're not careful, we become the very thing we hate. Brother Navarrete, who spoke for us uh, men, Yesterday, he made this very point. He said, you become what you fear. If you fear God, you're going to become like God. He said, "But if uh, and you can fear in a good way or in a bad way. You you can fear with anger and hatred, or you can fear with love and respect. And if you fear man, you're probably going going to become like the men that you fear. And I look at so many people who hate their dad for the way he treated them, or hate their mom for the way she treated them. And they turn around 30 years later, and they are all of the things they hated in mom and dad. That's exactly what happened to Absalom here. He took the counsel of Ahithophel, a wicked counsel, and tent was spread on top of the palace, and he went in and committed these lewd, wicked, evil acts. And let's not forget the uh, cultural significance of this. For a man to be with the concubine of a king was the greatest insult against the king. He was scorning the king on a level that uh, was, uh, was unparalleled to any other act. But not only was his counsel wicked, his counsel was weak. His counsel was weak. Look at chapter 17 and verse number 1. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men, and I will rise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed, and will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. And I will bring back all the people unto thee, the man... Uh, Whom thou seekest is as if all return, so all the people shall be in peace. And the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the elders of Israel. So his counsel, his military counsel to David, uh, was basically this. He said, Let's go in now while David is on the run and he's tired. Let's get a band of 12,000 men together. Let's chase them down and all of his soldiers will flee and run out of fear. And then we'll have David all alone and then we can capture him and we can kill him. And you can be established to be king. And as we'll see in a moment, this was terrible advice. David still had the same 600 men with him. That it helped him back when Saul was chasing him around. Okay, David uh, was a weathered veteran when it came to war. David's men knew the wilderness. David's men were not going to be afraid. Over twelve thousand men of Absalom, they had already faced the most elite of elite soldiers from Saul just some years prior. This was not going to work, but this was a fell's counsel, and at first Absalom likes it until he gets a second opinion. We see the scorner. Now let's talk about who's shy. Let's talk about the spy. The spy. Look at chapter 16 and look at verse number 15. Chapter 16 verse 15. And Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and Ahithophel with him. And it came to pass when Hushai the Archite, David's friend, was come unto Absalom that Hushai said unto Absalom, God save the king. God save the king. And Absalom said to Hushai, is this thy kindness, is this thy kindness to thy friend? Uh, why wentest thou not with thy friend? And who shall I send unto Absalom, Nay, but whom the Lord and His this people and all the men of Israel choose, this will I be, who shall I, uh, declaring himself a populist, and with him will I abide. And again, whom shall I serve? Should I not uh, in, serve in the presence of his Son, as I served in thy Father's presence? So will I be, in Thy presence, so he tells um, uh, Absalom, "No, I'm not on Team David. I'm on Team Absalom." And we know that he was the he was the spy sent by David in to do this very thing. Now Absalom is going to ask him for counsel about how to move forward. Look with me, and uh, and we'll look at his sup- his superior counsel to Absalom. So we saw Ahithophel's weak counsel. Let's see who uh, superior superior counsel. Look at chapter 17 and look at verse number 5, alright? The Bible says, Then said to Absalom, Call now Hushai the Archite also, and let us hear likewise what he saith. So Ahithophel's given his peace. Let's chase him down. Let's catch him like a wounded animal. Let's kill him. And so Hushai is going to come in and give a second opinion. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, verse 6, Absalom spake unto him saying, Ahithophel hath spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time. For, said Hushai, thou knowest thy father and his men, and they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds as a bear robbed of her whelps in the field, and thy father is a man of war, and will not lodge with the people. Behold, he is hid now in some pit, or in some other place, and it will come to pass when some of them be overthrown at the first, that whosoever Heareth it will say, There is a slaughter among the people that follow Absalom. And he also uh, that is valiant, whose heart is as the heart of the lion, shall utterly melt, for all Israel knoweth that thy father is a mighty man. And they which be with him are valiant men. Uh, Therefore I counsel that all Israel be generally gathered unto thee from Dan, even to Beersheba, uh, as the sand that is uh, by the sea Uh, "...for multitude, and that thou go to battle in thine own person. So shall we come upon him in some place where he shall be found, and we will light upon him as the dew falleth on the ground. And of him and of all the men that are with him there shall not be left so much as one. Moreover, if he be gotten into a city, then shall all Israel bring ropes to that city and will draw it into the river until there be not one small stone found there." And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord hath appointed uh, to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil unto Absalom. So we see uh, his superior counsel. His superior counsel. Uh, Was this tactical plan better than Ahithophel's? The answer is yes. Yes. There's no question that Ahithophel was giving better tactical advice uh, than uh, Ahithophel was. Uh, uh, Hushai had said, listen, you chasing him down is not going to work. David is a seasoned veteran. This is not going to go well for you. Instead, uh, let's take this other course of action. Let's gather a, a, a larger group of people. Let's be more methodical in plan in this. And we see Hushai outshining Ahithophel. Look down at verse number 23. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his household in order and hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. Ahithophel had been so outshined by Hushai that when he saw that his counsel was not followed, he decided his life was not worth living. He went home, put his affairs in order, and hung himself. He committed suicide when his advice was ignored he knew he'd been outshined Uh, we see the spy we see Hushai's superior counsel but let's also see his sly communication with David his sly communication with David look at verse number 15 the Bible says then said Hushai unto Zadok and to Abiathar the priest thus and thus did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel and uh, thus And thus have I counseled. And so he, he takes the conversation from the throne room of Absalom and he shares it here with Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. Verse 16, Now therefore send quickly and tell David, saying, Lodge not this night in the plains of the wilderness, but speedily pass over, lest the king be swallowed up and all the people that are with him. Now Jonathan and Ahimaaz stayed uh, by uh, in, uh, in, in, in Rogel, for they might not be seen to come into the city. And a wench went and told them, and they went and told King David. Nevertheless, the lad saw them and told Absalom, but they went both of them away quickly and came to a man's house in Bahurim, which had a well in the court, whether they went down. And the woman, uh, the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and spread ground corn thereon, and the thing was not known. And when Absalom's servants "...came to the woman to the house, they said, Where is Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said unto them, They be gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, after they were departed, that they came up out of the well, and went and told King David, and said unto David, Arise and pass quickly over the water, for thus hath Ahithophels counseled against you. Then uh, David arose, and all the people that were with him, and they passed over Jordan." Uh, By the morning light, uh, uh, there lacked not one of them that were not gone over Jordan. What a story here. We see David's plan with Hushai being in the throne room, giving the counsel, and then using, uh, uh, getting the message down to the priest. The priest send a runner out to the priest's sons outside of town. The priest's sons take off, and this has got all the elements of a good chase scene in a movie, does it not? Uh, you have Absalom's men, his spies, chasing down David's spies, and David's spies being hid by some common woman in the field. She hides them in a well and covers it with parched corn, and uh, they wait until the spies are gone, and then they're able to get to David and tell David what uh, Absalom's plan is, and so now David has foiled Absalom's plan. He now has a, he now has a leg up, if you will, of superior uh, a tactical ability on Absalom because he knows quickly. Notice number six: David and Absalom's conflict, and so now the time has come where they're going to go war to war here. They're going to go toe to toe and go to war. Look at chapter 18. And look at verse number one. The Bible says, "And David came, or rather, and David numbered the people that were with him, and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. And David sent forth a third part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai the son of Zariah. That's the one that wanted to take off Shimei's head. Uh, this is Joab's brother, and a third part." under the hand of Itai, the Gittite. Let me pause the reading right here. Let me just point out how good God is, all right? Remember back last week, we looked at Itai. He came out of nowhere. Itai was not um, someone David even knew. And Itai came out and said, as David was leaving the city, he said, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to support you, and I'm going to help you. And David said, God speak to you, but I don't know you head on home. And Atai said, I'm going to lay my life down for the king. I'm going to fight, and I'm going to defend you. And God sent Atai for such a time as this to help keep David alive. And now David has had a little bit of time, a little bit of exposure to Atai. He's divided the army up into three sections, and Atai has showed himself to be worthy of leading and is going to help defend David's life. Do you know that sometimes God brings people into your life for such a time as this To help you through a struggle and a trial and a heartache. Now, I want to just say, be very careful about being so independent that you push aside the help that God is sending your way. Sometimes God is bringing people in your life to counsel you and encourage you through a very difficult and challenging time. And if we're not careful, we can be a turtle. We go into our own shell and we push the world out. And we don't want help from anybody because we can do this on our own. And I don't know you, and I can't trust you, and, and I won't be vulnerable to you. And David did not know Itai. Atai did not really know David uh, on an intimate level well, but Itai came along being sent from God, and he ends up helping David defend. Defend himself against Absalom. We need to make sure we trust God and we understand his plan. And we see the larger picture when God brings people in our life to help us. Look back at verse number three. But the people answered, thou shalt not go. Let me back up to verse two. We didn't read the whole verse there. Uh, The end of the verse says, and the king said to the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, thou shalt not go forth. For if we flee away, they will not care for us, neither if half of half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth ten thousand of us. You see how they valued their king. Therefore now it is better that thou secure or hide thyself out of the city. And the king said unto them, What seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And... The king commanded Joab and uh, Abishai and Itai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captain's charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out in the field against Israel. And the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, uh, where, where, uh, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there, were, there, was, uh, there was there a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men for the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So the woods were so thick and the terrain was so fierce that the terrain itself killed more people than war actually killed. But we see here Israel in a civil war. Absalom and his men that he's won their hearts over against David and his men. And can I just tell you that any time a country or institution goes to war, it is never, ever a good thing. It's never a good thing. Think back to America's Civil War. More Americans died in the Civil War than all the other wars combined. Why? Because every death was an American death. And here Israel's fighting themselves. They're not fighting their enemy. They're fighting themselves. Sadly, I've seen churches have civil wars. I've seen uh, churches where people declare a side and they go to war with each other. Oh, may that never happen at White Oak Baptist Church. Because I just want to remind everybody tonight, I'm not your enemy, and you're not my enemy. Satan is our enemy. And we fight together to fight the devil. You listening tonight? Sometimes I may say or do something that hurts your feelings. Sometimes you may say or do something that hurts my feelings. But this is where Christian grace comes in. And I forgive you and you forgive me and we forgive each other because we have a devil who is opposing us. We have principalities and powers in the air that hate us and are trying to take us down. And as brothers and sisters, we need to stand together and not fight each other, but fight the devil. Oh, may we never ever have a civil war here at White Oak Baptist Church. May we always be mature enough to work out our grievances one-on-one and lay down our pride and lay down our, our problems and work through things because the devil, the best way he can keep us from fighting him is if we're fighting each other. If we're busy fighting each other, we can't fight him. And you know who wins? He wins and all of us lose. All of us lose. David here is, I imagine he stood by that gate of that city with heartbreak, watching hundreds and thousands of men go out uh, with, with, with their armament in place and ready to go to war. This was not any war. This was not Goliath. This was not uh, uh, the Philistines. This was not the Amalekites. This was not the Assyrians. This was his son on the other side. And he has to send these soldiers out and he has to watch them go to war against his own child. Oh, how that must have broken his heart. He tells his three generals lastly, he said, Deal gently with my son, please don't kill him. But lo and behold, Absalom would be killed. Number seven note is Absalom killed. This mutiny, this uprising, this civil war is going to be put going to be put down once and for all. But it's going to end with Absalom's death. We're going to look at chapter nine down through verse 33, but we're going to take a few minutes and turn back and look at Some other verses as well to help us understand the character of Absalom just a little bit better. Notice letter A, his vengeful heart. His vengeful heart. The story of Absalom is just so tragic. It is so tragic. Here you have a young man. The Bible told us, we looked at last week, he was beautiful to look upon. From the crown of his head to the bottom of his foot, the Bible says there was not a single blemish. He had been giving long, flowing, beautiful hair. He had a personality. He was personality plus. He could have been a a bright example of what a godly young man was. In fact, if David had not been with Bathsheba, and Absalom had kept his heart right, it's possible that Absalom could have been Israel's next king. I don't know what God's perfect will was. It's quite possible that Absalom was God's original will to be Israel's next king. And he had all of the markings of being a man with all kinds of potential to serve God. But uh, but bitterness got inside and, and venge, uh, a vengeful heart would destroy him. Look at chapter 13 and verse 28 with me. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 13. Oh, how vengeance and anger and bitterness and disillusionment has ruined so many people, so many lives. Uh, you cannot help the wrong someone does to you, but you sure can't help how you respond to it. Look at chapter 13, verse 28. The Bible says, Now Absalom had commanded his servant, saying, Mark ye now, uh, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say unto you, smite Amnon and kill him. Fear not. Have not I commanded you, be courageous and be valiant. Here David has or rather here Amnon, uh, Absalom has Amnon killed. Why? Because his anger and bitterness and vengeful heart has overtaken him and he is now acting out of vengeance and he's killing his half brother. Look at chapter 13 and look down at verse 37. The Bible says but Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Uh, Amahud, king of Gesher and David, mourned for his son every day. This vengeful heart has now not only caused him to commit murder, but run away from home. Look at chapter 14 and look at verse number 24. This vengeful heart, this hurt relationship between Dad and son, David and Absalom, both men are wounded, both men are hurting, both men are, are probably a little bit embittered and angry at each other. David doesn't know how to handle it. The Bible says in 24, and the king said, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house and saw not the king's face. And look down at verse 27, the Bible says and unto Absalom there were born three sons and one daughter, we looked at this last week, whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of a fair countenance. Now he's not seeing dad. He's living back in Jerusalem but has no contact with dad. You know what? When you're hurt, I I, I really want you to listen to this. When you're hurt, hurt towards someone for what they've done to you, it can feel like it is impossible for you to speak to that person and have a conversation with that person. It can feel as though it is impossible. It takes a lot of character and effort to climb over that wall and even have that initial conversation. I remember years ago, a pastor did something that hurt me deeply. And I took great offense to it. Great offense to it. Sometime later, I uh, I, had switched ministries. I was working in another ministry... And the Christian school attached to the ministry I was a part of was going to play basketball against that ministry I had worked at prior, and I just prayed. I said, "Lord, help not that pastor to come to this game. I don't want to see him. I don't like him. He hurt me. He took advantage of me. He wronged me. He he he, he smeared my name. He 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 put me down. And I don't want to see that man." Lo and behold, he came walking in the gym, and I was coaching, so I couldn't get anywhere. I had to be in the gym that day and you know what he did he made a beeline for me and he stuck out his hand and smiled and wanted to shake it and i wanted to spit my hand and then shake his hand it's what i wanted to do i didn't want to see him but you know the very first thing he did is he apologized to me for what he had done and he and i began a process of healing and now i i have called him several times since i've been the pastor here to ask him for advice or help on things we were able to heal that relationship, but I did not want to talk to him after he hurt me. I wanted nothing to do with the man. Now, did he need some humility for this thing to work, the way it works now? Yes, he did. When someone hurts you and wrongs you, the easiest thing to do is push away from them and avoid them and not talk to them. But that's also the worst thing you can do because that bitterness can grow like a cancer within you. Now, I'm not, I know I'm giving a broad counsel here each situation is different and your situation may very well be different but if there is a relationship that should be there and is being prevented then by all means if the other person has any sort of contrition or desires to reconcile you need to fix that we see that uh, that uh, that uh, Amnon came or rather Absalom came home and David refused to even see him There was a very tender chance here where Absalom comes home and David could have sat down with him and they could have had a very painful but necessary conversation. and This entire war could have been avoided, but David refused to do it. He wouldn't do it because it hurt too much. Look at chapter 15, verse 6. The Bible says, And on the manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Here, Absalom is is taking his poison of disillusionment, and he's now breathing this into the people. Can I just tell you what I think happened in these conversations? Because I've seen this play out. I worked on staff with a young man who was an assistant pastor, and I watched him try to split a church in half. I did everything I could to stop it, and, and I think I was able to help save some of it, but I wasn't able to totally stop it. But I'm going to tell you what this guy would do, all right? He would, he would give great counsel and advice. He had a big, charming personality, but he would very subtly and carefully, he would work in negative negativity about the pastor. He would very carefully and very subtly attack the team around the pastor. He would attack the ideas of the pastor little at a time, the poison within him began to infect people around the church. And when the time was right, he stood up and tried to take over the church. He ended up getting fired. That's what he deserved. Absalom didn't get fired. He took over. You know why? He is disillusioned. And he is embittered over what's happened. And now he is stealing the hearts of the people. His vengeful heart. Now look at 16 verse 22. 16 verse 22. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. I've made the point plenty tonight and last week. But David, or rather Absalom, has now become the very thing that he hated. His vengeful heart. Letter B. We see his vain hair. Look at chapter 18 and look at verse number 9. Chapter 18, verse 9. So they're at war. They're in the woods. It's a thick woods. People are dying by just the ruggedness of the of the land. Verse 9, And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule went under the thick bows of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth, and the mule that was under him went away. Wow! So he's riding along, and he comes in uh, to, to sight of David's men, and he has to make a quick turn. And so he makes this quick turn, and he heads under a tree, trying to duck under a tree to get away. And uh, the tree had low-hanging branches, and the branches grab a hold of his hair, if you will, and pull him up, and the horse runs out from underneath him, and there he is, dangling by his hair from the tree. If you want a verse on why men shouldn't have long hair, come on now. I'm being facetious. Somewhat. Okay, so look back with me at chapter 14 in verse 25. But in all Israel there was none to be so much praised as Absalom for his beauty. From the sole of his foot even to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And when he pulled his, his head... Or it was at every year's end that he pulled it because the, his, the, the hair was heavy on him. Therefore, he pulled it. He weighed his hair of his head at 200 shekels after the king's weight. Well, he had become so vain that he took the time to weigh his hair and uh, probably had all kinds of conditioners and creams and lotions. And, you know, he probably spent hours in front of a mirror doing his hair all right Uh, i spend about 30 seconds doing my hair every day and i am considering just shaving my head and i won't have to even think about it every morning so um, i don't need your opinion on whether or not i should shave my head okay keep those to yourself i'll make that decision when the time is right but uh, it's probably coming but here he had his vain hair and he became very much consumed with his own appearance now I, hope, I, want you to, I don't want you to miss the application. People who are broken on the inside work very hard to portray something that is untrue on the outside. People who are vengeful inside will oftentimes uh, lie about what's going on on the inside and they'll act impressive. You know what I call this? I call this the art of distraction. The art of distraction. I don't want you to know it's in here. And so instead I'll hide here. Oh, and by the way, look over there and look over there and look over there. Just don't look inside here. Because I'm a broken person and I don't want you to know. And by the way, when I have a problem, it's not my fault. It's his fault and her fault and his fault and her fault. Don't come asking me to do inventory with my own vengeful broken heart. His vain hair. Let her see. We see his vicious homicide. His vicious homicide. Look at chapter 18. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, And a certain man saw it and told Joab. We're going to read down to verse 17. Told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Joab said unto the man that told him, And behold, thou sawest him, and why didst thou not smite him there to the ground? And I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. I would have paid you. You should have just finished them off. The man said unto Joab, uh, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, yet would I not put forth mine hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king and Thou thyself wouldest have set thyself against me. He's saying, "What good would that thousand shekels do to me if I'm dead? Right? I, if I had took the king's uh, son's life; uh, I would have lost my own life, and then no amount of money matters at that point." Look at verse 12. There, let's see. Where do we just finish reading? We're in uh, 14 here. Then, then said Joab, "I may not tarry thus. I may not tarry thus with thee." And he took three darts in his hand. And thrust them through the heart of Absalom, while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bare Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel, for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood, and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled away. Uh, fled everyone to his tent. I've had a hard time uh, with the word homicide. I picked it because it starts with the letter H. I'm not going to lie. It fit the alliteration, okay? Uh, but um, uh, what word would you go with? Was it murder? Was it homicide? Was it uh, an act of war? I, I, I don't know. I, you can make a case that this was homicide. David said, do not kill my son. Do gently with my son deal gently with my son. I'm going to give you my opinion here. I think Absalom needed to die. I do. I think that the rebellion would have never been squelched if he had just arrested him and locked him up in prison. I think that Absalom probably needed to die, and I think Joab was put in a very difficult spot, and this is my opinion, okay? I think Joab made the right decision. I think that Joab made the right decision to put down the uh, the insurrection and have, uh, uh, and have Absalom killed, and he he was probably the only one of David's men that could have done it and gotten away with it. Joab, chief of staff to David, David's general, his right-hand man, had been there with him. Joab was the one that conquered Jerusalem and gave that to David. David said, whoever conquers the city will get this position. And Joab had done that. And Joab had been loyal and by David's side the entire time. And Joab was probably the only one who could have done that and gotten away with it. But lo and behold, he is the one that killed Absalom look down with me at verse 18 the Bible says uh, now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which is in the king's dale for he said I have no son to keep my name uh, in uh, in remembrance and he called the pillar after his own name and it is called unto this day Absalom's place then said Ahimaaz the son of Zadok let me now run and bear the king's tidings how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day. This is a a funny part of the passage. Uh, But thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushi, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And uh, uh, Cushi bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimaaz the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, but uh, uh, howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushi. Job said, "Wherefore wilt thou run, my son? Seeing that thou hast no tidings ready." So Cushi had seen it. Ahimaaz not but Ahimaaz was zealous. He was excited. He had no message, but he just wanted to run. And when an animal wants to run, you let him run. Twenty-three. But however, said he, "Let me run." And he said unto him, "Run." Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran Cushi. And David sat before the two gates, and the watchman uh, went up to the roof over the gate under the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king. And the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace pace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running. And the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also "...bringeth tidings." And the watchman said, uh, "...methinketh the running of the foremost is like the running of Ahimaaz. This guy had such a unique, special run. The watchman, before he could even see him, he knew who he was. "...the son of Zadok." And the king said, "...he is a good man, and cometh with good tidings." And Ahimaaz called, and said unto the king, "...all is well." And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy king, uh, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimaaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me the servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. He said, I don't know. (laughs) He said, I'm here and I've got good tidings, but I don't know what they are. So uh, Ahimaaz, he was excited, but he had nothing really to say. Nothing to add, and I've known some Hemazas in my life. Right? They're just uh, they're just fired up for Jesus. They don't have anything good to add or anything to take away. But boy, just let them have a good time. And that was a himahaz here. Uh, and the king, uh, and behold, uh, thirty one, uh, Cushy came, and Cushy said, "Tidings, my lord, the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee." And the king said unto Cushy, "Is the young man of Absalom safe?" And Cushy Answer, the enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as the young man is. That was his roundabout way of letting David down and say, no, Absalom is dead. So we see his vicious homicide. Letter D, we see David's visible heartache. David's visible heartache. Look at verse 33. And the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. This is a tragic, tragic, tragic story. Tragic story. This shows us what happens when we let Satan have his way in our hearts. I believe what happened to Absalom with Amnon uh, Amnon and Tamar, I believe that happened to him at a young, impressionable age. I'm going to finish with this. Sometimes what happens to us during our formative years can cripple us for the rest of our lives if we do not properly deal with it. We can be wounded in our spirit and hurt deeply. And then we can be emotionally stunted and left to be a child in our heart, even though we have the body of an adult. And then lo and behold, someone comes along and they do something, whether it's directly or indirectly, and maybe even inadvertently, and it offends us. And all of a sudden, what should have been this big is now this big. And we walk around like a wounded animal. And if we're not careful, we'll end up creating a lot of hurt and pain, not only for ourselves, but for others. Do you know who I believe suffered the most in this story of Absalom and David and Amnon and Tamar? I believe it was Absalom who suffered the most. I believe he suffered more than the rest because he had to live with himself every day. He had to deal with the bitterness and anger. David was not bitter at Absalom. He was just hurt and didn't know how to handle him. Absalom had to live with this every day. Amnon died pretty soon thereafter. Tamar, a case could be made for Tamar, but uh, we don't know much more about her story. But Absalom lived with pain and hurt because he would not deal with what someone had done to him in his youth. I don't know what you went through in your youth. I'm not here to pull open uh, a... a wound that's mostly healed, but we need to deal with these wounds. Miss Marcia on Sunday mornings is teaching on beauty for ashes and how to heal from a wounded spirit. And she's covering much of what uh, Absalom's life is about. My friend, do not let a hurt from yesterday turn into a cancer that will only end up destroying you. Are you going to die uh, uh, in some dramatic fashion the way Absalom did? Probably not. But you will live a life of misery, and you'll feel dead on the inside. You'll feel dead on the inside. May you deal with those things. May you get help. May you let God's Word uh, uh, pour over you and be a healing balm in your life. Let's not let disillusionment poison our hearts any longer. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. I don't know, per se, who needed the message tonight. Some of you in here this evening may have folks in your life who need These truths, you're watching them self-destruct. But boy, I know this. God's grace is greater than our sin. I know this. God's grace is greater than our past hurt. And if you'll turn to the Lord and ask Him for help, He'll help you to begin to heal. Let's not let disillusionment poison us. Let's let God heal us. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Lord, I pray tonight you'd help us to take the story of David and Absalom. Lord, may we respond according to how your Spirit has worked in our hearts. In a room of this many people, I can't even begin to know what you're doing in each life. Lord, I've conveyed the truth. Spirit of God, I, I know you have convicted. May the people respond accordingly. Help us, God, tonight to be a people that have a heart that is not seething with wounds, but Lord, a heart that's healed by grace. May we not be disillusioned. May we not be embittered. But Lord, may we instead trust You. And Lord, uh, lean on Your healing hand. In Jesus' name we pray.